So Why are you looking at boobs right now? Oh, it's just how it happens when I scroll Instagram. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Katie. And I'm your host, Rory. Creepy Rory. Creepy Rory. What are we talking about today, Rory? Today, we're just going to have a real fun, lighthearted conversation about cannibalism. So this week, we decided we're going to give Katie a break from murdered kid nightmares, and we're going to have a little bit of fun. So we're going to start with just a few instances of recorded cannibalism, and then we will get into the meatier bits of more recent instances. And lastly, I'm going to tell you a little about an old school shithead named uh, Levi Boone Helm, the Kentucky cannibal. All right, Rory, why don't you start us off? We're not going to ask about where I did all my oh. research. Hey, Roy, where'd you do your research? Oh, well, actually, this one was fairly interesting. I read a bunch of articles in the Smithsonian Magazine. They were a great help on this one. We watched a couple documentaries regarding uh, tr- cannibalistic tribes of New Guinea and Fiji. I, I read a couple articles. One of them was actually a article from a psycholo- psychology magazine about cannibalism. Which one? It actually came from the Journal of Forensic Sciences. Katie, you're probably very familiar with that because it's boring. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You'd have to spend a lot of time reading it to care about it. No, do it's you actually. Send it to me though. Yeah, I'll send it to you. It's actually kind of fun, but you'll enjoy it. All right, Roy, do you want to start us off? Cannibalism has been recorded in most cultures across the world. Some believe it to be an unforgivable sin. Some believe it necessity, and others a way of dealing with stubborn enemies. Anyway, you put it, cannibalism is a bit gnarly, but it is kind of fun to think about your favorite recipes using, quote-unquote, long pig instead of pork. And so that made me think of uh, Cafe Rio, slow-cooked Barbara Coa. (laughs) Killing it with the puns. Did you choose to do this topic just so you could um, put puns in it? Part of it, yeah. Okay. So why did you call it long pig? Uh, islands, uh, Fiji Islanders uh, had a name for it, and when it was translated over, it was long pig, and that's what uh, the flesh of man is called, is long pig. <laughs> we call it long pig, so we forget that we're eating another person. Yeah, it's just, you know, man pig, long, <laughs> longer than a regular pig. Well, yeah. supposedly it tastes like pork, doesn't it, it? Some people say it tastes like pork. According to a man who ate his own finger, it kind of tasted like goat. That dude's tasted too many different meats. I think everyone kind of describes it differently because Albert Fish didn't describe it as pork-like, did he? I don't think so. Well, here's the thing is that in the documentary that me and Rory watched, uh, one of the native people there, the dude who had eaten meat, said it tasted like pork. Then we watched them cooking pork, and they literally just take the slab of pork, throw it on an open fire, char it, and eat it so they don't actually know what meats taste like. That's actually not true. What they do is they take the skin and they put it on a a roasting flame, and then they set down a set of leaves, their spices, and they put the skin down, and then they cook the meat on top of it by dumping water on top of it, so it basically steams. After they burned all the hair off of it. After they've burned all the hair off of it. Tainted the meat. Yeah. And then they overcook the shit out of it. How do you think they get hair off of meat? Skin it. It's hard to pinpoint the first instances of cannibalism with any certainty, but many archaeologists and historians believe that cannibalism in humans can well as near back as 100,000 years ago, and in some instances closer to 50, when it was readily available that people eat human meat. Human bones found from this time period in multiple locations around the globe show signs of being quote-unquote defleshed, presumably for consumption. 
So they took the meat off the bones before they ate it. Well, what they're saying is that they can see marks from tools that would be used to clean Ooh. off meat and stuff. So like cuts, jabs, splintered bones, things like that. What or about teeth marks? Bones that are actually cracked open and had the marrow sucked out of them. But what about like actual teeth marks where it looks like someone bit into it trying to rip you off You know, I don't think flesh. people were that dumb to break their teeth on uh, bones, but... I'd bite a chicken bone here and there. Wow. Well, but it doesn't leave teeth marks in it. And a human bone would not be weak enough to leave teeth marks in. Anthropologists believe that it may not have been a nefarious human hunting prey type of situation, but more of a way to dispose of bodies as to not attract other predators that may be scavenging and would catch the smell of rotting flesh and wish to investigate. So Rockman Ognog over here dies. What, it's just a, we're just going to leave that meat there? No, that'll bring any sort of critter or creature over to them. So what they do is they generally just, you know, cook him up, take a few bites, eat him as if he were meat. Why not? If only they had known that all you actually have to do is cover it with mud. Yeah, see, that's the thing is they didn't really have the berry or put up uh, stone cairns and things like that. They didn't, they didn't think of any of that quite yet. But what they did think of was they had noticed that in times of... Well, this is something that uh, historians and anthropologists notice that during times of great, like, amounts of people dying at the same time, like during plague, famine, war, things like that, animals like jaguars tend to become more of man-eaters because they eat the flesh of dead bodies so often that it becomes part of their food chain. So then they'll start hunting people more, and it takes a couple generations, actually, to weed out man-eating jaguars from the ecology. It's kind of crazy. I mean, it makes sense. It's a... Uh, instinctual thing. Pre-recorded history aside, there are hundreds of written accounts from around the globe of islands full of flesh-eating men and women, sections of jungle, hill land, forest, deserts that no man should tread unless they're willing to risk their own flesh. More often than not, these stories were written by xenophobic explorers or treacherous rulers that wanted an enemy to rally against, and cannibalism was an easy way to demonize people. But for Every 100 false tales of cannibalism, there are one or two that are based in fact. Just like in the movies. Just like in the movies. And I know there's like this weird trope for like old school television, Looney Tunes, even Archer, where they talk about cooking people and there are large cauldrons with like onions and carrots and shit chopped up in it. But some accounts actually witnessed stuff like that. That now, I read, so. Is it true that the Bible doesn't specifically say not to eat people? You know, I actually don't know. Okay. I think technically the Bible says to eat people as long as they are Jesus. He does, transubstantiation does play a part in that, but we'll get into that too. We're going to get to that, but Jesus turned water to wine, fed really? a lot of people with bread and fish. The Bible does not specifically say not to eat people, so... Cannibals go to heaven. There are fossilized fecal artifacts that hold human blood proteins, lending credence to some tales that came out of early explorations of South American countries. The Aztecs and certain tribes of Brazil have been shown to practice ritual cannibalism. In Bernal Diaz's The Conquest of New Spain, accounts of cannibalism are recorded and corroborated by other members of the Spanish quote-unquote exploration crew. Why quote-unquote exploration crew? Because they were a conquistadors, basically hell-bent on conquering, not necessarily exploring. exploring. Yeah. 
Yeah, no one in this time that went to other countries actually explored anything. No, they were there to gain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were there for gain. And killing Mm -hmm. anyone who lived there before them. They should change the name of the best-selling Ford SUV to the Conquistador. When in a prominent Aztec city, Diaz writes notes of young men in cages awaiting their turn for sacrifice. Indigenous people openly eating human meat in markets, and cauldrons of slow-cooking man soup could be found in the temples where the Aztecs would make their sacrifices. Straight out of Disney. Aztecs have really interesting death rituals. Yeah, and that's kind of what I feel it is. is It's more of a death ritual in eating it than it is anything else because i mean it'd be super wasteful if you're just killing a bunch of people and i mean they did the same thing with their their dogs so basically the royal people had dogs like my dog and they would when they died they would kill the dog to lead them to the underworld to the afterlife but those dogs were also eaten as a regular source of meat so they weren't really that concerned with how sacred certain things were, like human life. And the nice thing about those dogs is that you didn't have to throw them on the fire and singe off all their hair first. That's mm-hmm. probably why the hairless dog actually came about. It is my personal belief that these accounts may be overblown to add justification to the conquest of South America by the Spaniards, though anthropologists do point out that in certain instances, ritual cannibalism did take place, but not in such a blatant and open way that the conquistadors claimed. Dude, Christopher Columbus saved us all from the cannibals. Sure. Don't you know that? He actually did write of cannibalism and came back with tales of how the people there were just a cannibal, savage people, and you should steer clear of the island, and only he knew the path, and shit like that. He was just a turd. Was that here in... No. Okay. That was South America. Haiti or whatever Because he went everywhere. Yeah, he... he, uh, he actually thought he was in India when he landed. Oh, yeah. He never had any fucking clue where he was. No. He just showed up places and was like... Yeah, it's not really discovering so cool. it. You yeah. Just, yeah. He you didn't know. know where he was, but he did know one thing. Sex sells. That's why he went back and told everyone about the cannibals. Because mm-hmm. cannibals are sexy. There are five types of cannibalism. Sexy. <laughs> That's one of them. <laughs> Symbolic cannibalism, uh, Catholics eating the body of Christ. Survival cannibalism, Uruguayan rugby team. Learned cannibalistic behavior, uh, which has two parts, endo-cannibalism, like the Donner Party, and exo-cannibalism, like Pacific Islanders eating American soldiers in World War II when they would crash landed and things like that. Fourth, pathological cannibalism. Think Dahmer, Fish, Barjona, Chikatilo. And the last one is auto-cannibalism. Uh, think of the Japanese chef who cooked his own genitals and served them. was going to eat them for art. Instead, he decided to serve them. Yeah, and people everyone. paid a ton of money to be there. Are you going to tell us about the Japanese chef and also about the Uruguayan rugby team? I want to hear about these things. I'm definitely going to tell you about the Uruguayan rugby team a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can tell you about the Japanese chef. He was an asexual human man. Obviously. Who decided that in order to bring awareness to asexuality and gender assignment, I can't remember what exactly, but he decided he was going to cut off his genitals and his nipples and was going to eat them as an art installation. Uh, When he tweeted about this and people found out about it, many people responded asking if they could help him consume his parts. And so he changed the thing to, 
Well, he charged a little bit of money for people <laughs> to come eat his genitals and mushroom sauce. Hashtag all about that ace. All about that ace. The Eucharist is basically a metaphor for cannibalism. You accept the body and blood of Christ by eating the body and drinking the blood. It tastes a little bit more like crackers and juice, just my opinion. Well, it is a reminder of the Last Supper where Jesus supposedly fed his disciples bread and wine and asked them to do it in memory of him when they were eating and drinking wine. Uh, his body being the bread and the wine being his blood. The Catholics kind of take it a step further with transubstantiation, saying that the bread and wine turns into blood and body once you eat it. Now, I know that doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but even fake eating people is a weird tradition to follow. But think of all the pros, if you will, of being able to eat a carbohydrate and get the nourishment of a protein. I think it's fucking weird if someone handed you bread and they're like, pretend this is me when you eat it. Yeah. This is the last <laughs> time we're ever going to hang out, yeah. guys. We're not going to be hanging out much longer. I just want you to come back here once a year. Get pretend you're some, eating me. Some bread and some wine and pretend it's my blood and my body. You know, what would really blow everybody's mind is if they found out that it was a wheat bread. I'm thinking it's probably a marble rye. The next type is survival cannibalism, and that's more common than people like to admit. Uh, hard, hard situations happen, and when it comes to survival, there's not really much to argue on when it comes down to your survival versus a dead body. Lots of people probably have an issue with that, but to me, I would want someone to eat me if I were dead in a situation and they needed food. I'd be fine with it. It wouldn't hurt my feelings any. I wouldn't hold any afterlife grudges or anything. Yeah, you'd be dead, so you wouldn't even yeah, know. Yeah, wouldn't even care. You wouldn't you... have to live with that. They no. would, though. Is that they why would. you have that bumper sticker on your truck? That's, that's an exact... <laughs> if, if found, eat body inside. All right, so take, for instance, the story of Uruguay Flight 571. I'm just going to give a quick breakdown on this. There's a whole book, and it's actually a really amazing story that they turned into an okay movie. But it's it's pretty good. These guys were pretty smart for some of the stuff that they did and they actually did some good shit anyway uh, an inexperienced pilot started the descent a little too early while heading into chile and slammed into the side of the mountain kobe the plane had ripped into multiple pieces and 12 of the 45 people on board had died during the initial crash that left 33 survivors some of those survivors had grievous injuries but still tried their hardest to help the other survivors after a week only 27 remained with limited supplies of food and their shelter was made from a 10-foot section of fuselage, luggage, and piles of snow. When they're, they're there and they're thinking, okay, people are looking for us. There's not, you know, we'll be safe here. We just have to stay warm, and they'll come find us. Well, they found a radio tucked between a couple of the seats after the crash, and when they turned it on, they heard that they were stopping the search for them, due to the fact that uh, conditions were so bad up where they were flying that they couldn't get to them. And so all these survivors, these 27 people, just heard that no one is actually looking for them anymore. So can you imagine like how crushed you would be on that? But one of the guys stood up and he's like, this is great news. And everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, yeah, because now we have to get down there. We know what we have to do. No more lollygagging. Uh, what do they say? Get get off the pot or shit? Time to shit or get off the pot. Shit or get off the pot. With supplies almost out and the search having been called off, the survivors faced a harsh, de a harsh decision. To survive, they had to eat the dead. 
Now, this was all snowy and cold, and so theoretically yeah, dead is, bodies had been frozen, right? Yeah, this is at 14,000 feet in the snow in the Andes. And these guys were, from Uruguay, they were uh, beach people. So they really didn't understand the cold. Probably had, Some of them probably hadn't even seen snow in their life. But This is like the best, I guess, the best possible environment to have to commit cannibalism because those bodies are going to be good for a very long time and last you a lot longer than if you were in, like, the rainforest and they immediately started rotting. Well, I, I think high altitudes, There, there is a problem with that, is that high altitude causes your body to work overtime, so you are in constant need of food because you, your body is trying to keep you alive keep because you the air is thin, you're cold, and all that stuff. So it's a good situation for having, like, a meat storage in people, but it, as far as situations go... If they had been somewhere else, they may not have had to consume everything that they had as fast. Like at home with a freezer where they go to get their meat. Mm-hmm. With supplies almost out and the search having been called off, the survivors faced a harsh decision. To survive, they had to eat the dead. Some of the survivors gave consent for the others to consume their flesh after they die. Other survivors were worried about the stigma for everyone else that goes along with eating human meat. Why would they care after they're already dead? Just because it's just a... Well, the people that did eat human were fairly traumatized by it because most of them, Uruguay, you know, most of them South America cities are fairly religious and they did believe that it was a big no-no to eat humans, even though it doesn't say anything anywhere in there like uh, Katie said, but you'd have to ask them. I have no idea why they would not why they would care if someone ate them after they died. It was probably more so for their families because they didn't want their families to have to live with the stigma of their relative having been eaten after a plane crash. There is that too. Almost all the survivors ate parts of the bodies of their friends and family. This is an amazing story, and I urge all of our listeners to read the book, Alive. The survivors of this crash are the true embodiment of the triumph of the human spirit because... One dude hiked his ass all the way over to the other end of the plane where it crashed, then hiked his ass down the mountain into Chile, got help, got him back, and they were up there for 72 goddamn days. How many people survived? Only 16 people made it down off the mountain. After 72 days, though. That's pretty, I mean, up in the mountain where the air's thin, nothing to eat, no natural vegetation. The way that they were collecting water was by heating it up on a piece of metal and then letting it pour into jugs. Melting snow. They made their own uh, sunglasses out of a strip from the window in the cockpit and some bra wire. That's oh, smart, because yeah. snow will make you go blind. Yeah, it'll and it'll. they must have had some pretty gnarly sunburn issues going on, too. Yeah, oh, I bet. They, there's a picture of them when they were rescued, and it's pretty, pretty fucking gnarly. The third type of cannibalism is learned cannibalistic behavior. In the Fiji Islands, historians can trace instances of cannibalism back 2,500 years, where excavations of certain sites found remains marked in a fashion that would indicate they were cut and scraped in a similar way to bones of animals found at the same sites. Which were presumably scraped for meat? Exactly. We are going to go, we are going to focus a little more on the exo-cannibalistic nature of tribes on the island. Meaning that they eat people outside of their tribe. Yeah, they eat people outside of their own. And the uh, other gathering. one was... Endo-cannibalism. And that's when people are, like, eating the dead in a ritual to bring themselves closer and stuff like that. It's where you eat the people closest to you for either religious or 
personal reasons. It's not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to eat this guy. The Reverend Thomas Baker was an Australian missionary in Fiji. He left Sydney to spread the word of God to the cannibal islands with his wife. They arrived on the island in 1859 and began to spread the word of God to cannibal tribes that inhabited the island. Were they open to the uh, old word of the God? Yeah, actually, a bunch of... Well, this isn't the first time that uh, missionaries had been there. The Cannibal Islands has been known as the Cannibal Islands since the days of Portuguese sailing down past Mexico or down past Africa and shit. So it's possible that they might have already had a taste for religion. Yes. Fijian tribes believed that to consume the flesh of an enemy would give you their knowledge and strength. It was the ultimate insult you could give to another person and may give you control over them in the afterlife. Well, it's like Calvin peeing on your favorite truck emblem. I guess. The arrival of Christianity to the islands of Fiji caused many of the leaders to run from the old ways and gods, and cannibalism slowly started to disappear. But not entirely. Reverend Thomas Baker moved his proselytizing towards the more reclusive tribes towards the middle of the island. The chief of one of these tribes heard of the procession of Christians coming towards his land, and he offered a sperm whale's tooth to the leaders of the tribes along the route in exchange for them killing the white man. So a sperm whale... A sperm whale's tooth must have some pretty major value. It was only gotten through trading with the people of the northern Pacific Islands. So at some point it was gifted to someone. And none of the, n- trading wasn't really super popular with outside tribes more centralized in the island. M- more often than not, they didn't get shit like that. So this guy had this uh, like polished sperm whale tooth that had been passed down in his family for a while or some shit like that and was yeah it was considered to be something special in the middle of the island i guess so more special than one of the only white people on the island well they don't like white people well obviously that's funny actually too because every single story of christianity that you ever hear whenever they decide to go to the more uncivilized like the farther uh, rural i guess you would say tribes it never goes well for them maybe you shouldn't just like force your religion on everyone you yeah. come across that was the place to start like that one guy who was trying to get to the yeah i think it was pretty recently he was trying to get to the island and he kept trying to get to the island and then they just found him dead on the island all the chiefs were set to turn down the offering when the reverend made a stupid mistake he touched the chief's head to snatch back a comb he had left in the hut the previous night in villages in the middle of nowhere in fiji it's basically communal living and this kind of prissy guy had brought his comb with him, and he accidentally like let, left it out of his pocket, and the chief found it, and since it's a communal thing, he just stuck it in his hair. But their hair was really greasy and thick, and he didn't really appreciate that, so he went and grabbed the comb out of his hair. Now, in Fiji, though, uh, chiefs were basically considered godheads, so to touch them was super disrespectful, and since all the knowledge and shit like that was stored in the head, they... Uh, Consider that a great insult. So the guy decided to take the tooth. He lets them stay there overnight because they, you know, stayed and ate his food and stuff. So the next morning when they're leaving, he sends out a whole group of people to basically stop them on the road. So they stop them. They chop off their heads and butcher them there. Then they take him about two miles up the road away from their village where they cooked all the meat basically in the traditional way, wrapping them in leaves and setting them in the ground and burning them. They cooked all the meat and then sent out parts to different sections of the village. 
And the guy that did this actually kept the shoes and pants of the reverend. And the shoes are on display in one of like uh, Fiji's major museums. And there's in the town where this happened or in the village where this happened, there's a statue commemorating it. And the people of that tribe had to actually apologize to this guy's ancestors later on for, <laughs> you know, eating him because the tribe thought they were cursed after that because because of that when someone found out about it, other tribe leader tribal leaders sent men in after that guy, killed the dude's sons, uh, oh. basically cursed the whole village. So they didn't consider it the coolest thing ever, but... I just don't understand what they think is going to happen if you go to the island of cannibals. God will protect us. Yeah, you're not that special. You're not going to speak the word of God until literally everyone you meet. You're an asshole. Maybe yeah. you get lucky and just get turned into a burning bush and then people will listen. Well, I'm pretty sure they burnt his bush. Pathological cannibalism is the kind most people who listen to true crime think of when someone says cannibal. Eating it because you want to. I'm not going to go into the detail on any one case. We have full episodes about some, and I'm just going to focus on the results of a study done with five patients that committed cannibalism that that were hospitalized in a secure wing of a mental hospital in France. Super secure wing, I would hope. Yes. These five patients fell under two different subgroups for study. Patients with severe schizophrenia and patients that presented mixed personality disorder with sadistic and psychopathic features associated with paraphilia. And Katie, what is paraphilia? It's an attraction to something that's not considered conventional. Ding, 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 like kids and uh, animals. There's a lot of things that they consider paraphilias, um, like foot fetishes. That's a paraphilia. So there's a lot of things that have become normalized now that are still technically according to the DSM of paraphilia, but we normally use it to refer to things that are not appropriate. Pedophilia, mm-hmm. necrophilia, things like that. Of those two groups that had committed cannibalism, it was shown that, quote, for the schizophrenia group, cannibalism is a self-defense reaction to a perceived threat of destruction. Survival depends on the annihilation or assimilation of the other. For the mixed personality disorder group, ego and narcissism are a central issue with a desire to overcome deep-rooted frustrations by means of an extraordinary act, end quote. So, Katie, do you want to go ahead and dumb that down into real people for everyone else that doesn't? So what do they mean uh, the survival depends? Is it just something that they have in their head? More than likely, it's some sort of delusion. This is difficult to really understand because this is really specific to these five people they studied and not really like a global thing Yeah, they... I think you could use in general to refer to cannibalism, but... I'm, I'm sure, though, if they looked at people like Dahmer and things like that, they would say that uh, narcissism, ego, and the deep-rooted frustrations by means of an extraordinary act. Um, what, what do you have to say about that? Do you think it's something to do with uh, a psychopathy, narcissism, and ego thing, or do you think it's just... It's more often sexual... A lot of the times there's, in some way, people find that either being eaten or eating someone else is arousing to them. And so that's usually, I think, why most cannibalism, like Dahmer, he ate people because... He wanted them inside him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then Barjona, same thing. He ate children because he was attracted to children. But yeah, it's almost always something to do with a sexual arousal and not so much... Narcissism and ego. Yeah, that, I don't, I don't know. And then 
for schizophrenics, I guess it would have to be something with their delusions. Yeah, perceived reality. This is just really odd because these people are in a mental hospital and receiving treatment, so I don't understand how they took all of their self-reports so seriously. I don't know. It just... Yeah, and it's not, it's, not a, it's not a huge cross-section, and that was one of the main uh, issues people had with the article that was written on it, because this was given as a presentation to uh, basically a group of forensic psychologists and shit, and people that liked that sort of thing. It wasn't necessarily a... I mean, self-reports are notoriously unreliable, so... I don't know. I don't, I Maybe don't they know just how took I feel them about this. their meds. See, that's an ethical thing, though. There's, like, so many ethical things that could go wrong with this and so many ways that this probably was not designed appropriately that I don't know if I want to... Well, it's it's not even really anything like that. It's basically just a review of five cases that they have here. So it's a case study? It's a case study, basically. So this was this person's personal opinion, which makes it worse. Uh. I don't know. It was published in the the Journal of Forensic Sciences, so I don't know how off they could be because, I mean, it was written by two doctors in Baltimore. I mean, you can peer review, and if it was just case studies, then this is basically what they found and what they thought was appropriate Mm -hmm. to report. It wasn't an actual study, so there wasn't really a whole lot, like a review board that had to go over it or anything. It's just hard to have people who have been reported to have done such severe things who are now in treatment in a hospital setting and use what they're saying as legitimate truthful information i don't know how else they they would study that though you i mean you wouldn't really there's no really good way to design an experiment yeah so that's one of the there's a lot of things in psychology that would be really cool to study but you just can't really do it Except for doing case studies like this. Yeah, I wouldn't go any farther than saying that it's all, like, not reliable or anything. It's just, honestly, what they noticed about these typical type of people that they had happened to have five of laying around, is what I would say. Observations. Observation. Yeah, so it's, I mean, case studies are almost always that the reviewer's personal opinion based on what knowledge that they have available to them. The last type of cannibalism is auto-cannibalism. This is a weird one, so hang on. Most cases of auto-cannibalism are not extreme. People eating hair, nail cuticles, boogers, scabs, those sorts of things, and can be written off as a body-focused, repetitive behavior. But there are cases of extreme auto-cannibalism. Burned brands met Armin Muse in a chat board for people looking for like-minded individuals to share a cannibal experience with. The online transcript of the conversation leading up to them eating brands slash himself seems kind of emo teenish, but what happened is not exactly the same as an ASL RAR XD conversation that was had on MySpace 12 years ago. RAR. So... They talk in, one of them is named Antrophagus, and the other is Cater99. We're going to read a transcript from their conversation. Uh, Cater99 is Brands. Armin is Antrophagus. You're going to play Cater99. I'll be Antrophagus. Okay. And Antrophagus is Latin for flesh-eating. 
Yes. He had to have been, like, one of the first people on this board to get that to name. Actually, yeah, like, he's probably been on the board for a while. Yeah, well, He was the only one who knew Latin. I'm sure everyone that got on there was like, oh, I'm so clever. I'm going to use this. so smart. Yeah. So I'm the first. You have eaten human flesh before or you haven't. No, you don't exactly find it in the supermarket, unfortunately. How do you know if it'll taste good to you or that the blood won't make you sick? I'm readying myself with dreams. Once I was so excited, I grabbed a needle and drew my own blood so I could drink it. And your blood, it tasted good to you? It was quite tasty. Once I was drilling some holes and the drill slipped right into my hand, that was a real treat. Blood is the juice of life and contains everything a person needs for nutrition. Then I hope you won't wilt that you can really see it through without a problem. To bite into your penis will certainly not be easy. Living flesh is somewhat more resistant than fried, but one thing is certain, our dream will be fulfilled. But there's not so much in it as there is in muscle. Yeah, but the penis is principally a spongy material filled with blood. Fucking edgelord. I know. (laughs) Good God. What is edgelord? He's just an edgy... He's just trying to say something for the reaction. Like, that's that's why I thought it was, like, super emo teenish. Like, yeah, it's like, and blood does not contain anything that you need for nutrition. You can only drink so much before you just throw up immediately. But, yeah, no, he's a fucking edgy son of a bitch. Actually, a couple days later, on March 9th, 2001, the two met up at Armin Mew's apartment and set their plan in motion. Brands took a handful of sleeping pills and drank some schnapps, while Armin cut his penis off and fried it up for them. Armin cut Brand's penis off. Yes. They both ate his penis on camera, a video Armin wanted to keep for posterity in case the police showed up so that they could see that Brands was a willing participant in this. So that's where I that's why I use this one as the auto cannibalism thing. There's also the second half, which is uh Mr. Armin being a fucking psychopath eating someone. So he, he videoed him taking the sleeping pills too? I'm, pretty, I, I'm not exactly sure thing. what was on the video because it's not really known to people. This is pre-recording it and putting it directly on the internet days. Either way, it's not going to matter in a second, right? I'm sure. Brands was bleeding profusely and took a bath while Armin read a Star Trek novel. In the early hours of the next morning, Armin stabbed Brands in the neck and chopped his body up to fill his freezer. All in, Armin ate 43 pounds of brand's meat. Armin was sentenced to eight years in the maximum sentence given to people who commit assisted suicide. Eight didn't, years, huh? Didn't Brands agree to be killed? Yeah, he agreed to be killed. He agreed to be eaten. It's all in uh, transcript. Everyone is aware that this. And that's why this guy originally was going to get a longer sentence, but... They decided that they couldn't sentence him that long because the only thing they committed was helping an assisted suicide. Yeah, this is one of the those really difficult to prosecute cases because he broke the law, but it's really hard to argue that you murdered somebody if they wanted to be killed and exactly. they readily agreed to being murdered. Well, the real problem is that he didn't get drawn for human that year and he didn't have a stamp. That's true. They needed their tax. So that's that. That's the the fun part of it is that. He actually came back up, and I think they're going to retry him to try and get him more time because they think thought it was a ludicrously short amount of time for someone to have to spend in prison for eating and uh, murdering someone. I think the eating part, I, I think... 
But he but, agreed to both. I think he even signed a contract, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, it's something creepy like that. I think that just as a society, we can all agree, no, you can't eat somebody, so that's fine. You can't persecute him for killing someone who wanted to be killed. Like, But the, he Brands wanted to be eaten. Yeah, but we're going to draw the, the line there. That was the whole fetish yeah. was him <laughs> being eaten and eating himself. We're drawing the line there. This is not a free country when it comes to eating dicks. So now we're going to talk about the Kentucky cannibal Levi Boone Helm. Helm was born in Kentucky, but his family moved to Missouri during his early years. He was brought up uh, kind of like in this borderland between native land and civilized land in like the old days when right before everyone decided to go to California for the gold rush. So it was kind of like a middle of nowhere thing. And he kind of was just an asshole. Everyone hated him. He was a dick. He loved to fight. He just was bad seed all the way around. And people didn't trust him. People didn't like him. So when his family decided to up and move to California, everyone was excited. Everyone was happy. On the road, he gets married, decides he's going to go ahead and stop his, uh, stop caring about his wife and go make his millions being a gold digger. <laughs> a gold miner? Gold miner. Gold panner. Gold panner. He's getting the gold. And But here's the problem with that is that, yeah, he was a big fish in a very little pond before. And then when he went out to California, there were tons of other people that were just like him, kind of hard-nosed assholes that really didn't give a shit. And that's when he started getting into his more murderous tendencies. He would, he'd been known to lose his temper, shoot guys just out in the middle of nowhere, run away from town to town. Basically, this happened a whole bunch. So he ends up in Portland or outside of Portland in like 1853 and... There he is sought after for the disappearance of a woman. So he decides he's going to leave and head to Fort Hall, Idaho with his buddies. Now, that's a pretty arduous trip, especially during winter when this was happening. And they got caught in a storm. Now, he was said to tell people, hey, you know what? If we are in the cold, I'm going to go ahead and eat you. I've done it before. I'm not going to do it again. So if you die, that's what's going to happen. Two of his companions basically died on the trail up. And it was one of those leave them there things. We got to continue on. But he didn't eat them. He didn't eat those people. They, no, they still yet. had supplies. They had still had their horses. After all their horses died, there were only three people left. One of them ran off. Him and his buddy continued on. His buddy couldn't go any further because he was hurt, so he left him in a little like shack area in the woods and went on further. He found the fort that he was looking for. Walks in. Nobody there. He's a little upset by this. So Levi's, okay, fuck it. I'm going to head back. He heads back towards his friend. As he's walking up, he hears a gunshot, walks in, finds his friend dead. Instead of wasting the meat, cuts off the dude's legs, cooks one of them, wraps the other one up, carries it over his shoulder, saying, continues on to his journey. Finally, he makes it to about 20 miles outside of Utah when uh, John W. Powell, one of Utah's famed sons, finds him, brings him back, nurses him back to health, he doesn't really give a shit, so Levi leaves, heads out, back on the trail. Did he Did he provide proper burials for anybody that he was... Fuck no. You didn't back then, really? No, this dude was a, a murderer. He was wanted in like three states. Yeah, but if I learned anything from Oregon Trail, that's bad for you down the road. You're going to get cholera and die. So here's the crazy thing. He ends up here in uh, uh, Flores, uh, Florence and kills a guy. Everyone sees him do it, but he runs away and starts heading up to Canada. 
Everyone in the town, huh? From Florence? Yeah, from Florence. That's he's, a long yeah, fucking trek. Yeah, he's out. Trek. He's fucking out. Florence, uh, Arizona? I believe so. Oh, wow. So he heads back up. On his way, he encounters basically the same situation, but comes across another body, cuts the arm off, decides he's going to eat that. An unknown body. An unknown body. Ooh, he's getting risky. Nobody knows how many people he actually killed, but when he escaped, he ended up actually, after the second instance of him committing cannibalism, he heads over to Texas and joins up with the famous plumber gang. He's going the wrong way. That's not well, how you get to Canada. Well, when you get sick or when you're you're stuck in the cold and the only thing you have to eat is human, you kind of lose your traction for heading north further. <laughs> he lost the stars, the sun. He lost it all. Yeah. His orientation was fucked. Uh, during this time, nobody knows how many people he killed in between these time periods. So he's just roaming around Texas with this gang, being an awful son of a bitch and killing people. The gang's like, hey, we're going to hit McDonald's. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go right over here to this uh, little group of people. <laughs> so they caught this guy. They, Someone actually went around and said, hey, this guy killed this guy over here. They went around and they found him. They took him back to Texas where they decided, you know, we're in Texas. We're going we're gonna to hang him. We're going to hang him. There were five other members of his gang that were there being hung. They hung him one at a time, and he literally was just sitting there egging everyone on as they were fucking getting hung. He was talking shit to them. The thing that he said to the crowd was, for God's sake, if you're going to hang me, I want you to do it and get through with it. If not, I want you to tie up my finger for me. Give me the overcoat of yours, Jack, he said to the other guy next to him. (laughs) And he's like, you're not going to need it in a few minutes. (laughs) <laughs> and then, so, the next guy goes down, and he's like, well, that one there's gone to hell. The guy next to him fucking goes down off their little brick, and he says, kick away, old fella, you deserve it. And this then, is what he was, the... Yeah, he um, was saying it. They, they had six guys up on the fucking line there on their buckets, and they were kicking him out from under him. And this was the commentary that this guy was just doing the whole fucking time he was about to die. Yeah, you're going to eat that? Yeah, and so <laughs> finally the dude before him is kicking and ready to go. He's like, well, my turn next. I'll be in hell with you in a minute, and jumps off the fucking barrel. Jumped dude, off of yeah, it. Yeah, dude was a psychopath. But he's one of the people that actually didn't have any heart about how eating people. He says that it was for survival nature, but I'm pretty sure the dude just didn't give a shit and would have eaten them had they died a day or two days later or anything like that. He was basically like a scavenger. He was a scavenger, a shit person. But he is on the record as being one of the uh, earlier American cannibals before the uh, Civil War. So he is, like, well-known in those four states that he was caught in, basically, as someone who would eat man flesh. (laughs) And he was a real asshole. Like, he was an asshole. He left his wife. He beat the shit out of her. He fucking killed people for looking at him wrong. He walked up behind one guy who was supposed to be the toughest gun in this one town in Texas. Didn't say a fucking word to him. Tapped on him on the shoulder, boom, shot him right in the forehead. No one, like, the Old West was a fucking psychopath, like, dreamland. And he flourished. And he flourished. He lasted a hell of a lot longer than most better people, but... The only problem back then is if they caught you, they would immediately hang you. Oh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, you gotta be fast. But I guess it doesn't matter if you hang yourself. Yeah, I mean... You want to just jump right off. So I thought that was a pretty fun little story, because... Here's one of the random things that popped up when I was looking at cannibals earlier. So I kind of got wrapped up in his story a little bit. 
there is a semi book written about it, but I think it's in a collection called Death Scenes of Desperados, and I did not read that. So is that going to wrap it up for us this week, Rory? Yes, it is. And as always, guys, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast on Twitter at fourcornerscast and at fourcornerscrimecast.tumblr.com. Don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Head over to our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. You can get a full episode list, uh, or you can send us an idea for an episode you might want to hear, or you can get your free sticker just by typing in the code BINGOBANGO at checkout. We will ship it out for you to you 100% for free. So don't eat people this week. Be better at cooking your meat, I guess, so you can tell the difference. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Long pig. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers. Whoa, Jake, you can't say that. <laughs>